This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Grab a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In the first service, uh, we had this great prayer time as we did this morning in here. And after I came off the stage, uh, right over here, my daughter was sitting on the front row and she leaned over and said, you need to fix your zipper. <laughs> I was like, thank you, thank you. I, I, I was on my knees, you know, on the front, you know, like first service. And, and then Dustin, who always sits on the front row, Dustin's the one that gives everybody fist bumps, if you've seen Dustin, you know. Um, uh, Dustin, as I'm coming back on stage, like he... You know, you know you're loved when people will tell you your fly's open, right? All right? So Dustin leans over and he says, hey, I don't want to embarrass you, but uh, you need to fix your zipper, you know? So um, I don't know if you've got that problem this morning, but it'd be a good time to check, you know? Just go for it. I don't know. Um, hey, have you guys, I, I learned something this week. I heard about it, and I'm usually late to the party on things like this, so you've probably heard about this before, but are you familiar with the placebo effect? It's really interesting. The placebo effect is this, it, it, basically, it's, it's where... Often when they're testing medicine to, to make sure it's effective before it goes to market, um, they will put empty pills, like filled with nothing, and give it to people. And before medis- medicine can go to the market, it's got um, to be like more effective than the placebo. And you think, more effective than the placebo? How is placebo how, how's an empty pill effective? Here's what's, here's what's amazing is studies have shown over and over and over and over again, as people take this empty pill with nothing in it, often they get better. What's going on there? Well, they think that they're taking medicine, and the power of their mind leads to the healing of their body. Now, it's not like, you know, cures for cancer comes from like a placebo, but like things like depression and fatigue and anxiety and headaches and these kinds of things are changed merely by someone believing that they've taken a pill that's gonna heal them. It's, you know, this is crazy. Sometimes the size of the pill and the color of the pill actually has an impact. So if you got like a big old honking horse pill, you know what I'm talking about? Like one of those big old like horse vitamins and it's like red and blue with a white line. Like, I mean, people's headaches are going away like that even though there's nothing in it. Why? The power of the mind. And so you'll see this morning in the text, the power of the mind for, for all of life. I'm, I'm titling the sermon this morning, Take Control. And so we're going to be looking at taking control of our thinking. Um, I want to orient us first to the Christian life a little bit. This morning, this morning we have people here that are not yet Christians, and they know they're not yet a Christian. Maybe they came as a friend, maybe they're a family member, Uh, Maybe they're investigating the claims of Christ. Maybe they're interested, but they know they've not yet trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they know it. Um, Others of us here this morning um, are not Christians, but we may think that we are. We may think that we are because we grew up in a Christian family that attended church. We may think we are because we attend church. We may think we're a Christian because we actually like the music, and from time to time we sing a song Um, And so we've done a lot of Christian things, but we haven't yet bowed our knee to Jesus 
and received him as our Lord. We're still the Lord of our life. We're still calling the shots for our life, and we've not yet submitted to Jesus as Lord. So we think that we're a Christian. We might say that we're a Christian, but we're not actually yet a born-again Christian. The Spirit of God doesn't live inside of us. We do a lot of Christian things, but our heart has not been changed. Others of us this morning, we are a Christian, and we know that we're a Christian because the Spirit of God lives in us. We can kind of look back and see how God has changed us over time. We submitted to Jesus, the Spirit of God came into our life, and he began to shape us and change us. Our character changed from the inside out. So we know we're born again, we know we're a Christian. Um, Others of us here are Christians, but we battle to believe that it's true. We genuinely are following Jesus. We have genuinely trusted Jesus. We've genuinely received Jesus as our Lord, but sometimes it's just hard to believe that we're a Christian. Um, And and so all of us are in kind of in one of those categories this morning. And here's what I want to say to you. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you're at the right place. You're at the right place. And I'm so glad that you're here. This morning, before we dig into Romans 8, um, I want to orient us to something that's true about the Christian life. And for Christians, we have three enemies. In Ephesians, I want you to see this text here. We pick this up in mid-sentence here, Ephesians 2, and the Apostle Paul is describing to Christians what their life was like before God changed their life by his spirit through Jesus. So he says, in which you once walked. So he's about to describe their life. Their life was characterized, and then, and then in the next few verses, he gives three enemies. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have three enemies. What are they? in which you once walked following the course of this world. The first enemy is the world. It's the values of the world. It's not not the people of the world per se, but it's the commitments of the people of the world. It's the values, it's the systems of the world that are contrary to God. It's the ways of the world. That's the first enemy. The second enemy you see following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, Lucifer, the devil himself. So that's the second enemy is the devil. You read on. Uh, through the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the third enemy. And then he describes the flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Christians have three enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. What's the flesh? That just sounds weird, doesn't it? It kind of sounds gross, right? Well, it's the term that the Bible uses to describe our bodies in their natural state. Our bodies in their natural state. What do you mean natural state? Well, as opposed to a supernatural state. In other words, it's our natural body of who we are, what we think, what we desire, what we want, what we do, our natural state before the Spirit of God comes and steps in and brings about his fruit, the flesh. So I want you to understand the flesh is it's just you're born in, you're born with sinful desires. And it's just your natural state. God changes that when he convicts you by his spirit. You trust in Jesus and his spirit comes to live inside of you. Then you've got the flesh that's still there, but now you've got the spirit of God in you, giving you new desires, empowering you to live a new way, to think new thoughts. It's the power of the spirit of God alive in you. The flesh is not yet totally dead, Jesus will come again one day and obliterate all the sinful, natural temptations and desires of the flesh. Hallelujah. But it's important for us to realize today that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
and here's what happens often, is we often give the devil too much credit. You know the phrase, the devil made me do it? <laughs> well, no, sometimes you just made you do it. The flesh. Your, your natural state. And what is the flesh? The flesh is your orientation to yourself. That's the flesh. It's the natural state, and it's your, or, it's your commitment to yourself, the flesh. And all kinds of sins come out of the flesh, your commitment to you. All right? I just kind of wanted to lay the groundwork. You'll understand Romans 8, 5, and following a lot better now that we laid that groundwork. I hope you'll follow along. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Look at it with me. Follow along as I read. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Would you pray with me? Father, speak to us personally and powerfully through your sacred scriptures. By your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this text, we see three reasons we must take control of our thoughts. Three reasons we must take control of our thoughts. And the first reason is our thinking determines our doing. Our thinking determines our doing. In other words, before we live out sinful things, we have certain thoughts that propel us toward certain things. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, those that find themselves living for themselves, it started in their minds. What they're thinking about, what they're committed to in their, in their mind, it leads to living uh, we, see this, we see this often where you might, you might have a lustful thought. And that lustful thought, when you give yourself to that lustful thought, it progresses to actually looking at pornography. And you may think, well, okay, I'm looking at pornography, but I'm never going to do those things in real life that I'm watching. But as you meditate on it, as you think on it, you end up putting those things in practice that you never thought you would put into practice. Where did it start? It started with a lustful thought. And a lustful thought that led to looking at pornography and looking at pornography that led to sinful acts of sexuality. Um, it, you, you see in, this in all kinds of other areas of life. Um, you think about um, the, the impact that listening to profanity has. Um, uh, you, you may not want to have like filthy, dishonorable speech coming out of your mouth. But what happens is when you begin to listen to music that's just filled with profanity, or when you choose a friend group that they just all the time, it's just filled, then filled with profanity, the next thing you know is that, that that's coming out of your mouth. In other words, it, it, it's what you've thought about leads to what you do. Your thinking determines your doing. This is why we must take control of our thoughts. Think about it this way. If you think that God is angry with you, then you're going to end up being angry with you. If you think that God is angry with you, then you're going to be angry with you. And then the next thing, then that's going to lead to you being angry with others. And when you're angry with others, what's going to happen are outbursts of anger. Listen, some of you, you, 
You, you struggle with outbursts of anger all the time, and you don't yet know why. Some of you chalk it up to personality. Listen, it's the works of the flesh, not the spirit of God. It's the flesh. It's your natural sinful state. But it starts, sometimes it starts with a God is angry with me. And I'm angry with myself. And I'm angry with you. And now I'm just letting my anger go. Do you see the progression? You see, it, it's naive. Listen, it's naive to think that we can meditate on things and them not work their way out in our life. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, no, no. It's, it's like whatever you think about, that's, that you're going to live that. You're going to live that. We see this all the time in our culture today. There's like a whole generation where parents have overpraised their children. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and you have like, <laughs> you see this like in Little League all the time. It's like everybody gets a trophy. Listen, if you, did, if you didn't win the tournament, would you go home and throw your trophy away? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you got a participation trophy, just go home and throw that away. You, got, you guys are like, wait, what is he talking about, right? Oh, we, we have like a whole generation that, like, where, where it's only been praise and adoration for the children. Well, what, what does that lead to? Well, when a kid is filled with only approval, only adoration, only praise, only affirmation, you're an angel, you're the best one on the block, there's nobody better than you, you can, you can, you can succeed at anything if you set your mind to it. Listen, what happens is, is that kid begins to walk around with an inflated view of him or herself. They don't have a sober view of themselves, they, be, they begin to think more highly of themselves as they ought. And then what does that lead to? That leads to them being like braggadocious. And then it leads to them not having any friends. Why? Because all they do is talk about themselves all the time. Why? Because that's all that happened in their home was their parents just told them how amazing they were. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, and there's nobody better. Right? So now all they, what do they do? They, what they thought about, they now live out. So they talk about themselves all the time. Nobody wants to be around that. So now they're like all lonely because they've talked about themselves all the time. It gets worse then they're unable to accept criticism. Why? Because they've renewed their mind to this reality that they're the best and there's nothing wrong with them. Do you see that? They get into a job, a boss holds them accountable, and they come undone. They can't handle the real world because that's not the real world. Do you see, do you see how important it is that we take control of our thoughts? that we think right thoughts, that we think true thoughts, that we think sober thoughts. Otherwise, it just, it just leads us down a train on a dead-end track. So our thinking determines our doing, but our thinking also determines our experience. Look at this with me in verse 6. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Isn't it interesting the way Paul words that? <laughs> It's like, Paul, it's like Paul's writing here and he's like saying, okay, I want to break this down in the most simple, straightforward way so you don't miss it. So what does he say? Verse 6. For to set the mind on the, for to set the, mind on the flesh, so, so, so to meditate on, to think upon, for, for, for all that's going on in your mind to be oriented around you, it is death. That's your experience. Some of you know this very intimately. You know this very personally because you hate when people ask you how you're doing. Because you feel like you're lying all the time. 
because you feel like I'm having a terrible life. Like, like you, you, you struggle to find the right words. to It's just blah. Like life is just blah for me. Perhaps, perhaps, it's because you've been setting your mind to the flesh. You've been prioritizing yourself. You've had a wrong thinking about who you are. You've given in to all kinds of selfish thoughts. And what Paul says, listen, don't miss this. What Paul says is when you think that way, your experience is death. The good news is you don't have to think that way. And there's a better result. Look at this with me in the rest of verse 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To, to align your thinking with God's thinking. To take control of your thoughts and to think God's thoughts. About what? About everything. To think God's thoughts about, about everything. You think what God thinks about everything. The fruit of that is life and peace. The Apostle Paul is giving us both a present experience and an eternal reality. In other, word, in other words, when your thinking is fundamentally centered upon you, not God and not others, but you, then you're thinking upon the flesh. It, it leads to all kinds of things we'll see in a moment, like jealousy and envy and all kinds of impurity. You, you think about you, what you want, the lusts of your flesh, all these things. You, you're thinking about you. What he says is, is when that happens of you, you both experience a life that could be described as living death here, but also if you don't turn by the Spirit, if you don't turn and change the meditation of your mind, then eternal death is going to be the fruit for you. Eternal death, separated from God. So he's describing a present reality and an eternal reality. The good news is if you set your mind to the spirit, then what God promises is that your experience now will be life and peace. Not peaceful circumstances. Peace despite your rough circumstances. It's a peace that's inside of you. It's a, it's an, it's a joyful experience of life. That it doesn't matter if the circumstances of your life are crumbling, something in you is unshakable. Why? Because your mind has been fixed upon what's good and true and lovely and the things of God. Do you see it? So our thinking determines our doing. It leads to doing. But our thinking also determines our experience. And then finally, our thinking determines uh, whether or not we please God. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. For the mind that is set, you ever wonder where that phrase mindset comes from? Right out of the sacred scriptures. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Let me just pause there. Some of you are listening to me and you're considering what I'm saying and you're like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what I think about a, a man standing on stage telling me what to think about. Listen, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I love you. The, the only reason I'm going here is because I love you. But I, like, is there anything like more intimately arresting than God actually telling us what to think? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, we're, I mean, like we like to think like, like what we think doesn't bother anybody, doesn't impact anybody. Well, we've already seen that's not true because our thinking leads to doing, right? And our thinking shapes our experience. But don't miss this. What you choose to think about has the potential to please God or to displease God. Look at the rest of it with me. Don't miss this. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
You make God your enemy by what you think about. For it does not submit to God's law. That's his, his loving, gracious boundaries in, 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 the, in, the, in the word, his law. Indeed, it cannot. Look at this phrase in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's been a little bit of a, a, a wonderful renewal in the North American church of a, of a gospel focus. Of, of wanting to understand that everything in the, in the Bible points to the good news of the gospel. That though we're sinners, God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. We can have that eternal life by turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus. He's coming back to take us home eternally. Hallelujah. What good news of the gospel. But here's, how, here's where some people get it wrong. In their attempt to describe how wonderful God's love is, they'll say things like, you know, there's nothing that you can do that will make God be more pleased with you. What they should have said or what they might have meant to say is there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. In other words, his love is eternal. It is set upon you in his son Jesus. It's unwavering. It's unrelenting. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. But we can please God and we can displease God. The author of Hebrews says that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you don't ever have to worry about God removing his love from you. If you were hidden in Christ, his love is eternally set upon you. But now we have the privilege and the honor of living our life in a way that pleases God. And we can displease the Father. So if you choose to set your mind on self-oriented things and to give your mind and your thinking to the flesh... You're displeasing the Father. But if you choose, listen, if you choose to take control of your thoughts and you choose to saturate your mind with the truth and you think God's thoughts after him, you bring such great pleasure to the Father. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool that you can wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, I'm going to take control of my thoughts. I'm going to take control of my thoughts and I'm doing it to to please your heart. And I want to please your heart because you've loved me in a way that I just don't deserve. Do you see it, church? Is it just fires me up? Like, I just can't wait to wake up tomorrow and say, God, I blew it in a lot of ways yesterday, but I just want to bring pleasure to your heart today. And I'm going to start. I'm going to start by, by what I think about. Okay, so look at this. You might want to take a picture of this. I don't know if they've thrown this up there yet. Um, but, but here you see, fleshly thinking is jealousy. Let me read Galatians 5 to you. This is, Galatians 5 helps us understand what, are, what is fleshly thinking and doing. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, Paul, Paul writes in Galatians 5, verse 18 through 24. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious, Paul said. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He, listen to what he says. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, not those who have ever done such a thing, but those who do such things, those who are, those who are in active practice of doing these things, it, these things chiefly characterize their life. I, I warn you, as I warned, the, warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What, 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 are, we, what are we saying here? Well, you can't fake it and you can't like, you can't be a Christian in name only. Christianity is not an event. It's a transformation of your life that's evidenced in the fruit of the Spirit and in the, in the, in the progressive crucifying of the deeds of the flesh. Paul says it's evident. It's evident. I think Paul's saying it, it'll be evident in our lives. So the experience is death now and forever. So here's the real question. Here's the real question. So what do you want? What do we want? What do you want? Do you want life and peace? Do you want an experience of life and peace right now in the moment? You want Thursday to roll around and, and despite what's going on at work, you want to have an experience that you would describe as, man, life is just, it's just life. You know, it's just peace. Hard, frustrating, but I've got life and peace. Do you want that? Or, or do you want this perpetual state of blah, death, death? What comes back to what we're going to think about. Listen to what Paul says in, in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. God, listen, God actually commands us what to think about. <laughs> Did you know that God was that much up in your business? <laughs> he commands you what to think about because he loves us. And he knows if we align our thinking according to the purposes of God, life and peace are what we will experience. But if we align our thinking to self-orientation, the flesh, the old man, the sinful way, he knows that death is the experience. So how do we take control of our thoughts? Here's just some, a few practical things. You ready for this? And we'll be done. First, evaluate, confess, and repent. In other words, what I, what I want to invite you to do this morning is to evaluate your thinking. Like, give it more than 30 seconds thinking about what you think about. Take an inventory. If you really want to know what you think about, start journaling. And start writing down everything that goes through your mind and then read your journal. Some of you will be shocked. You know, you'll be like, oh my gosh, what's going through my mind, right? And there it is. So you evaluate what you're thinking about. Evaluate it, then confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So some of us, we actually need to confess sins of what we've allowed to go through our minds what we've been thinking about confess it and then repent how do you repent look at this next one you repent by reading memorizing and meditating on scripture so you evaluate where you're thinking nonsense you're thinking self-oriented and then you fill your mind with the scripture you read large chunks of it you meditate on it you memorize it when you commit it to memory listen all you got to do if you want to know how good we are at memorizing things all you got to do is turn the radio on right it's like, how many songs do you know can you rattle off with the radio, right? It's just like, yeah, yeah, listen, you can memorize the sacred script. You can memorize God's word. You've got the power. Just turn the radio on and you'll see, right? So read, memorize, meditate on scripture, and then embrace active thinking over passive thinking. What is that? Well, passive thinking is where you don't fundamentally feel responsible for what you're thinking about, and sometimes you might even feel like a victim to your thoughts, 
and you just let them come. They are what they are. It just happens. Sometimes it shocks you. It just, you know, it's just like crazy town is going on in your mind, and you're not responsible. It's just, it's just happening to you. Active thinking is when some lie of the enemy or some self-focused thought is your meditation, you speak to it quickly. No, you're not coming in today. Now, you might get some weird looks at the grocery store if you do this at the grocery store, right? You, you got a weird thought, you know, like, you know, and, you, and you're like, no, you know, but you know, in the book of Acts, people thought that the church was drunk because they were so filled with the spirit of God. The power of God was on display in the people of God in such a way that people literally thought they were drunk and they might think you're drunk if you start talking to yourself in the, in the, uh, in the grocery store, right? No, you're not coming in today. But can I just tell you, like, that's what I got to do a lot. Because I got all kinds of crazy town that runs through my mind and I can't be passive with what goes on in my mind. I've got to be active. I have to take responsibility if I'm going to take control. And if I take control, I've got to be active. I've got to say, no, no, not today, not tomorrow, not Wednesday. You're not coming in. And I'm going to start thinking the truth of God behind, behind me, all right? So you've got to embrace active thinking over passive thinking. And then expect war. Expect war. I mean, we started the sermon by talking about we have three enemies, Right? So, so, like, expect an intense spiritual battle. The devil's not going to like it if you start taking control of your thoughts. He's not going to like it. The flesh goes against it. And the world fills you with a different narrative and a different message and different values. So expect war. It's intense. Some of you are like, Pastor, I'm going to be exhausted by noon tomorrow. I know. <laughs> I know. But the fruit of it will be life and peace. And if, and if you start setting your mind to the things of the Spirit, then give it another three weeks and you won't be exhausted until 2 p.m. And if you start setting your mind to the things of the Spirit, then give it another couple of months and you'll be rolling into 6 p.m. feeling exhausted. You've been like active all day long. No, the Lord is good. No, every promise in Jesus Christ is mine. Yes and amen. Right, right? 6 p.m., you're exhausted. Life and peace is the promise. Two more, get garbage out. Get garbage out. As you evaluate all that's coming into your mind, you've got to identify what, what, what's garbage, what's useless, what's not profitable for me, what's not helpful, and just, and just get it out. You know the guys that created iPhones and tablets out in Silicon Valley, you know they don't let their kids have them. They just don't let their kids have them because they know they're created and designed in such a way to create addiction to the device. All the apps that are built in, they're created to drive a, a, addiction. So the guys that create the devices don't let their kids have it. And, and one, of, one of the most dangerous things that's happening to the church today is that we're just undiscerningly, silently taking every device and downloading every app and mindlessly devouring everything that's coming in. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Why? Because your thinking leads to your doing, and your thinking leads to your experience. And somebody else is choosing, if you just, if you just scroll, somebody else is choosing what you are thinking about. They're just, they're just choosing it. And it's not going to be the ways of God, usually. It's going to be the ways of the world, the values of the world. Um, I love social media because I love people. I love celebrating with my friends the good stuff that's happening in their life. I love hitting the like. I love commenting. I love dropping fire emojis. I love dropping like strong arm emojis. I love connecting on social media. I love it. But you have to be aware how it's impacting you. 
Because social media is so dangerous in that as you're just scrolling through your friend's highlight reels, without realizing it, your heart is being dialed into envy. Your heart is being dialed into jealousy. You see what's going on in everybody else's world and you think, I don't have what they have and you want it. And that's envy, that's covetousness, that's jealousy. And that's of the flesh, not of the spirit. It's not of God. It's sinful. So so if endless scrolling consumes a lot of your life, then maybe you just need to delete the app before you get out of the building today. (laughs) My one-liner, anytime anybody tells me they're not on social media, I got one line. It's good for the soul. Not being on it, being off of it. It's good for the soul. Good for the soul. Not being on social media, it's good for the soul. So let's be aware. Let's take responsibility for our thoughts. Let's not aimlessly and undiscerningly just consume everything. We're being shaped by something. You and me, we're being shaped by something. And it's shaped, we're being shaped by what we think about. So what is influencing your thinking? Be aware, be aware. Lastly, you ready for this? Final one, persevere. Persevere. You you gotta keep fighting to take control of your thoughts. You You don't come out of a sermon and say, okay, I'm gonna do that, and then poof, it happens. No, you gotta have some thoughtful, real, personal reflection on what kind of person you're going to be. What kind of human being am I going to be? And then lead, live a life of persevere, persevere in this. It's war. It's a battle. It all starts right here, right here, right here. You know, the Bible says that he's given us the mind of Christ. Paul says you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? I'm believing that somebody today is breaking free from some some untruths about themselves. A pattern of self-condemnation, the Spirit of God is setting you free. A, a, A pattern of aimless scrolling, the Son of God, the Spirit of God is setting you free. A pattern of arrogant, exalted, whatever it might be, inflated thoughts of the, the, the Spirit of God is setting you free. Anybody, anybody sense that? Anybody believe that this morning? God's doing something. God's speaking something. God's, de- God's depositing something fresh and good in my heart. Anybody want to amen that? Anybody sense that? Is the Word of God coming alive in you? You know, the author of Hebrews said it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Is anybody sensing a little encouragement from God today? Well, let's stand. Let's sing about it. Come on, church. Come on. Let's stand. Sing out. Don't hold back. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.